God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey friends, this is Jason Elam. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I love the conversations that we have here, and I hope you do too. But you know what I like even more than listening to the interviews on the podcast? I really love the conversations we're having on the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. It's a safe, secure, private group where you can talk about your doubts and your struggles and faith and religion and all of life in an atmosphere free from judgment and full of love and respect. I would love for you to join the Messy Conversations group over on Facebook. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode, and I hope you'll join us there. Also, please check out our Patreon page. You'll also find a link to that in the show notes for this episode. It's patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. That is where you can sign up to be our patron on Patreon. We could not do this podcast without the 25 supporters who have committed $1 a month or more to supporting the work of this podcast through Patreon. For each giving level, there are specific reward tiers. You can get everything from early access to each new episode of the podcast, all the way up to free copies of my forthcoming book, just for you. Uh, We are publishing articles just for our patrons on Patreon. We are also about to start releasing videos that will be specifically produced just for the patrons of this podcast on Patreon. So would you check that out? Patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes and make a pledge. It's just automatically drafted every month. You can cancel anytime and there's certainly no hard feelings about that, but I would love to have your support. It makes it possible for us to do what we're doing and we honestly could not do it without you. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. My guest today is William Thrasher. Bill is a uniquely ordinary guy, a life-taught academic, and a warrior who is at peace. Through experience, study, and prayer, Bill has found an amazing outlook on life and its ultimate purpose. He has a burning desire to share his story and its life-changing insight with everyone. A U.S. Marine, husband, father, and lover of life, Bill is a passionate teacher gifted with a unique perspective and a skilled leader in the field of business. As an author, public speaker, and minister, he has a true passion to share his path to knowing hope and peace, a journey he has personally endeavored. Raised inside the culture of the westernized evangelical church, Bill has broken free of traditional religious rules and believes in the good news of God's unbounded love and grace for all humanity. Bill has a gifted understanding of the balance required for finding hope, peace, and purpose. Bill lives in Woodstock, Georgia with his wife, Christina, son, Will, daughter, Ainsley, and pound puppy, Piper. Active in the community, Bill hosts Unleashed Community Gatherings and is a member of the Marine Corps League and works with several other outreach missions. I am thrilled to have with me today, Bill Thrasher on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Welcome. What, what? Pleasure to be here. Man, I'm so excited to talk to you finally. I know we've had a couple of bumps in the road getting here, but I'm glad we're finally having this conversation. Hey, man, it's my true joy. Tell us about your upbringing. When did Jesus first introduce himself to you? Well, probably, I I, I was probably introduced to Jesus, and Jesus introduced to me as soon as I popped out of the womb, I think. <laughs> um, I was born into a, a pretty deeply seated community of faith right, right from the get-go. Um, my parents are, are um, were are, are, and, and are still deeply uh, a part of what was maybe Americana Christianity all through the uh, the seventies and even prior. My 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 grandfather was a um, a missionary in South America and Brazil, and, and ended up becoming president of Brethren in Christ World Missions, the fourth largest mission organization in the world. So my 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 mom was a pastor's kid. My dad was saved at a, at a in his early teens, but ended up uh, traveling on the road uh, in, a, in a musical group where he met my wife, uh, excuse me, met his wife, my mom, in a Christian singing group uh, called The Regeneration. They toured all around the country. And uh, my my dad was a sound man. My mom was a, the high soprano. My dad ended up doing sound for Billy Graham for 30 years. Wow. And I was, I was yeah, I was blessed to be a part of that crew for the last uh, 10 years or so of that ministry, a, a part of my dad's crew uh, on stage with Dr. Graham and, and Cliff Barrows and Bev Shea and all, all those guys. And so I've laughed. I, I've really had an, an insider seat to some of the most kind of uh, prestigious 
uh, Christian events and and, and Christian uh, churches, especially Baptist churches. My dad's done a ton of sound systems in Baptist churches, and I was always kind of the tag along, right? Uh, my mom would sing there a lot of the times. And so, you know, First Baptist Jacksonville, Woodstock, Atlanta, Second Baptist Houston, all, all these all these mega churches uh, through the 80s, especially. I, I kind of was I was just there and I, I had this insider seat. But but I've always had an outsider's perspective to a large degree. You know, my dad was a, he was a sound guy. He was the roadie. He was the he was the one with long hair. <laughs> and he was the one that every once in a while would 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 get behind a rack in a closet in a church, you know, working on an audio system and cuss. And so <laughs> he sounds like my kind of guy. <laughs> exactly. I'd have this dichotomy of experience where. I, I would I would be there for the event, but I would be there well before the event and well after the event, no matter what it was. And I kind of got a backstage view and understanding of a lot of things that went on. I think it just really gave me a unique perspective and and, and not to harp on my parents. But then as I, I grew up and I got married in my own uh, life and journey, those things really stuck with me. I continued to be a part of my dad's uh, crew, develop my own skill set in the audiovisual industry, which I'm still in today. I've been on staff at a church, so I've had my own in-depth, behind-the-scenes experiences. And, and when you're the sound guy, and since I was born into the sound is- industry, just like I was born into Christianity, you kind of get tagged. You're a pastor, I know. So if there's a guy who knows how to do sound in your congregation, it's like there's a gravity. You find that guy. <laughs> and, Absolutely, uh, yeah. He's indispensable. Exactly, and, and and valuable. And so no matter where you go, you get identified pretty fast, and you end up in a sound booth. And my wife and I have laughed about that. And, and I did that for years and years and years. And and even at our last church stop, you know, for 10 years, I, I, was, I was the primary mixer there. So I'll tell you from the sound booth, it gives a totally different perspective to faith. I'm, I'm not always been the guy on stage. I've had some of those opportunities, but I've been behind stage so much more. And, and that, that insider's view, but an outsider's perspective is really how I've kind of defined my journey, uh, not only from where I am now, now, but really from the onset. How did that insider's view shape your early faith? What did you see that maybe the average person sitting in the pew wouldn't have seen? Well, that's, that's a great question. And, and I think some of it is the reality of humanity, right? You, I think, so, especially, and, and maybe I'm, I'm romanticizing a little bit, but you know, through the '80s, uh, especially as I was a child and into my into the early '90s, I think Christianity. I remember the DC Talk era, right? And there was this kind of like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe you can even give me a good word. But there was this kind of like energy about around Western Christianity in a certain way that, and I, I don't want to. I don't even think it was bad in some regards. I, I'm not a person that looks at things through bad and good. I, I think it was part of our journey a, as a generation, especially I think you and I kind of sit in that same same generation. And, and we were kind of learning what our parents had kind of taught us. We were applying it. We were we were seeing some things and, and experiencing th- some things that had some really, I think, beautiful value to them, but, but they were pretty thin. And... In in context, what what I learned is is there was a humanity, there was a there was a a rawness, a, a, a the 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 word the secular word or the the you know, the in, you know, the people sitting on the fringe might call it hypocrisy, but sometimes it wasn't blatant hypocrisy. It was just this kind of we were wrestling with with dualism, as I say it now. And we didn't even know it. We, we were struggling to identify why it didn't seem the, the puzzle pieces were close, but they didn't quite fit, if that makes sense. And, and I think that just I, that always stuck with me. I was never a person that that just was comfortable allowing to be slightly offset. So what was your early faith of your own like? What did you believe about God as a young man on your dad's sound crew? Yeah, so... I've always believed that God um, was probably better than the average person. Now, I know what I would hear on Sundays, and, and maybe cerebral, cerebrally, uh, that would that would kind of stick. But in my heart, I kind of, again, I, there was that offset. And, and I've always, my parents were the ones that, you know, were in a Southern Baptist church, but had wine and would hide it when somebody would come over. So there was this kind of <laughs> odd freedom odd freedom that my parents expressed in my childhood. And I kind of adopted that into my own um, spiritual journey where 
I understood in front of certain people, in front of certain situations, you kind of had to act a certain way, but that's not how really God saw us. Um, and, and I never felt the condemnation that maybe I was expected to feel. And, and that was really liberating. I, I got to admit, I, I, I had, un, I really did have unconditional love in, in many ways for my parents. And, you know, there's that kind of, we're loved as we're first loved. We love as we first been loved. And, and I reflected the love of God from my parents. And I think I came from a really, really healthy, they came from a really healthy place where they kind of didn't buy into 100% of the, the religious BS even though we were immersed within it. And so I kind of stayed above that fray in, in some degree. And, uh, and I, I've carried that on today. Sometimes I didn't even know it. It was a subconscious thing. But that was really liberating because I know so many other people haven't had that journey. And yet I've witnessed so many other people that have been trapped and quagmired in that crap. And um, it, it's really my, my desire, my, my burning desire to help people out of that. How did you end up in the Marines from your dad's sound crew? What was the journey from A to B there? Yeah. So I, I think the, the two events, my early childhood, uh, I remember going to an air show. I think my dad was even doing sound there at an air show and in, in outside of Orlando, Florida. We grew up in Orlando. My dad, before he was on staff at a church, actually worked at Disney for a period of time. Uh, my mom sang at Epcot. So I was that kid that would go to um to Disney World and get to ride uh, Space Mountain when we picked up your dad in the afternoon. And he was like, every kid doesn't get to do that. You wow, know? Um, that's incredible. My kids would be very jealous. Awesome? Yes. I know. It was so awesome. I think Goofy would grab me and, and, and pull me aside, and, like give me a spanking. And, you know, my dad knew him and like set him up and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, but completely tangent. Um, I, they, they were doing an uh, air show somewhere. I think he was doing the sound and we we're setting it up. And I, I remember this moment. I'm, I may have been five years old. And uh, there were these army rangers that had parach- and they had parachuted into the event. And because my dad was on the crew, he entered, I got to go and get introduced to these guys. And they all had camo paint on. And then, you know, they were wearing all their camis and everything. And I was just absolutely starstruck at the like, like the coolness of these, of these soldiers, right? And that was right at that same 1984, 1985 window when G.I. Joe just peaked. I loved G.I. Joe. I mean, my best Christmas present probably was 84, 85. I remember coming outside, uh, come, you know, my bedroom and going into the, the living room and that, that F-14 G.I. Joe plane. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. It, it was just sitting there unwrapped. And we, we didn't have a lot of money as a family. We, we, we weren't poor by any means, but what we, were, we were not near, you know, upper class. And that, that had to be a sacrifice in hindsight for my parents to even get that for me. And that was just the moment that the military was stuck in my brain. I really wanted to be a pilot, but I didn't have the eyesight for it. And, um, uh, ended up in high school, junior ROTC and accelerated. I was my uh, cadet commander in high school, uh, junior ROTC. And I just loved the idea of, of uniformity. I loved the idea of, of a discipline, but discipline that isn't rooted necessarily in anything other than becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. Um, and doing that not alone, but doing that with a team of people who, who you know, unconditionally have each other's back. And, and something about all those contributing factors just, just resonated in my soul. And uh, so, so I did the high school junior ROTC thing. I actually graduated a week early from high school to go straight to Paris Island. I forego, I foregoed my, uh, my, uh, my formal graduation walk. I didn't know. I didn't even walk with my, uh, graduating class for high school. I went straight to Paris Island, um, to, to become a United States Marine. And, um, it was just, it, it was something I had to do. I always was going to do it and I did it. And I had every intention of becoming a, a career military officer. Um, but, but I'll tell you after about, Two, two solid years in the Marine Corps Reserves while I was going to college, preparing to be an officer. I just had a little heart tug and kind of kind of pulled the reins back on that a little bit. And I met my wife. Uh, we both worked at Old Navy. I was working a part-time job, going to school, also doing the Marine Corps Reserves. So I, I laugh. I was Air Force Junior ROTC. I was in uh, the Marine Corps uh, as a reservist. I, I went to North Georgia Military College. I was in their Army ROTC program. And then I met my wife at Old Navy. So I got all 444 covered. <laughs> 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 so, 
So uh, once I met my wife, things priorities change, right? And and uh, and I was blessed. I, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't really do anything in the Marine Corps from a combative standpoint. Uh, I went to Minnesota and California and, and North Carolina and Alabama. So I was I was extremely blessed. I, I was after Desert Storm before uh, Iraqi Freedom. Uh, my unit went to Iraqi Freedom right after I got out. So uh, I was. I have such a reverence for my veteran brothers and sisters who have served in combat and who have had to make those uh, more advanced sacrifices than I had to make. And I, I just, I have a heart toward that, that perspective because I think I understand it better than a lot of other people do. What was your life like after leaving the military? You got married. I'm, I'm assuming you started having kids. I got um, two. What was your, were, was your faith uh, a big part of your life during that season? It was, but obviously in a different way. Um, and, and maybe you can relate. I, I'd imagine, you know, the, my 20s, faith was important. It was obviously a, a component of our, like, journey. But it was kind of a, in a way, it was a bolt-on. We were just so just trying to survive. You know, we lived, started in a one-bedroom apartment. We did have two kids after we moved into a 1,300-square-foot a little split-level home, you know, starter home. And we lived paycheck to paycheck. I mean, still do to some degree, but you know, um, you're just you're just trying to make sure you make it through the week. And um, I, I had gotten a, a job as an audiovisual um, kind of a, in that in that industry as an installation technician. And uh, faith was something that just kind of was that pulse in the background of our life, that steady drumbeat that kept us. Um, kind of kind of on check of of just just life for lack of a better word it, it gave us some community some friendships we you know we were in that you know married couples bible study it gave us a place to get away from our our, our toddlers for maybe a couple hours during a sunday morning <laughs> I, I swear i think that's the best part of church for so many people that are in that phase of life it's like thank god i get a break i have free child care right and so right and yet I would struggle. I, I won't lie. I, I, one of the things I started struggling with earliest in my faith, um, probably in the early 90s, uh, I'd say mid to early 90s, high school transitioning into adulthood, was creationism uh, for me. Creationism was this big, you know, black hole of intellectual dishonesty that the church just could not seem to get past. I grew up in a Southern Baptist kind of area here in, in Metro Atlanta and part of the Bible Belt, so to speak. And, you know, that 6,000-year-old, old earth, Ken Ham creationism thing just kind of just sat heavy. And it's like, that's just, again, that's bullshit, man. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so that was probably one of those first cracks in my, my religious foundation. And I was blessed. My dad probably kind of walked into that with me at the exact same time and introduced me to Hugh Ross. I'm familiar with Hugh Ross and, and uh, reasons to believe. And I found such inspiration in, in their perspective. It was so liberating to find a version of, of creation, uh, you know, a component of theology that gave me a, a liberty to explore a, a, su such a, for me, such a radical thing outside of what kind of was told, if you don't believe this, well, you may not be able to be a Christian because you don't have enough faith to believe it. And all of a sudden I was like, well, that's just not true. In fact, this is so much better. It's not even better intellectually. It's, it's a better and more beautiful understanding of, of, of where God is taking us. God is preparing this beautiful place over time and with attention to detail and, and enjoying every moment of it. And I saw to start to see God through this, this perspective of, of, of a nurturer and, and who didn't need to hurry and shove something together because a clock was ticking behind him. Um, and that was kind of the first little kind of nudge towards something new in my, in my mind and in my heart. Did that view cost you relationships? I mean, I just, I'm trying to think in the Bible Belt context, there's just not a whole lot of people who would say out loud, I don't believe creationism. Yeah, and maybe, but not really, because the truth is, that's one of those little theological nuances 
that unless you're speaking about it explicitly, people probably don't know. So it's something I was able to, to explore without a lot of the the social ramifications because you just it doesn't come into conversation often, right? But it but it kind of started this little momentous uh, kind of experience that that just continued to snowball um, as I would bounce from church to church because I was that young married guy trying to make sure I had enough for all the bills and hey, you want to pay me two hundred bucks on the weekend to come mix on your your church? Sure, I'll show up to your church and be a member of your church. <laughs> You're paying me to be a member of your church, and so I would do that, and, and we bounced from church to church to church, uh, kind of through our our, our mid twenties until we ended up at a pretty good place. They were paying me to be there. I don't even I don't even know what denomination it was, um, and it was it was. It was this. It was a really good community church, but that that we were there for a couple of years, and they had a, just a massive um, falling out. The the pastor um, ended up having some kind of infidelity type issues with another woman in the church, and he was married. And the elders wanted to keep him because they had invested so much into his um, his time. It was a startup, right? But then the the body of the church was like, probably shouldn't have this guy leading us at this point in time, and 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 his, you know journey of, of trying to figure out who, who he is and what he wants, whatever you want to call that. And so there's, but that, that traditional church split, it's a church that was thriving and growing. And and all of a sudden had this moment that, you know, in a snap, it just all changed And, and momentum in that specific little community church died. People started having animosity with one another. And, and it was just, it was a painful experience. And, and, it was like God just uh, placed this opportunity where we w- we ended up in another church um, that I was I, I felt audibly called to. I really did. It was called His Hands Church here in Woodstock, Georgia, and, and I, that was a church I was actually on staff at for a couple of years. And it was such a, a an unbelievable place because it really laid the groundwork. It really laid that fertile foundation, uh, that soil for me to to begin to experience the transition of how I had understood faith in my head versus how I was understanding it in my heart. I understood that God that was a nurturing father in my heart, but again, those puzzle pieces didn't all line up in my head. And I remember going to one of the very first uh, sermons there, and it was, it was a very unusual place, uh, started by a, a couple who were independently wealthy. And they bought a dilapidated Kmart and basically started a church with no attendees whatsoever. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautifully odd story. Um, and um, they pastored it, th- this husband and wife. Um, and I remember him on stage sitting on a stool, which was unusual. This was in uh, the early 2000s. Um, he wasn't behind a pulpit. Um, it was a rock band. It, it, what I describe, everybody's like, yeah, I've been to that church because all churches were li- are like that now. It seems like all these hip, hip churches, but this, this church was one of the pioneering ones with the coffee house and casual seating, wear your jeans. It was so ahead of its time. It was really one of the churches that, that, that enabled other churches to follow suit. And he sits there and he, he says, this, this tree of life versus tree of the knowledge of good and evil message and like light bulbs went off for the first time in my life. I was like, holy cow, I've been in church 30 years and nobody's once talked about the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And all of a sudden it was like, like Derek says, a tidal wave, Derek Myers, that tidal wave moment where just revelation started to flow. And it's kind of been that way ever since. Um, we were there for 12 years and, um, some things have changed since then. Um, we, I'm sure that'll be one of your next questions. But but for such, for the first seven or eight years, it was it was a very freeing place to be able to explore some of those questions that I probably would have been condemned about at other places without any condemnation. Well, it's awesome that you had the opportunity to do that. Uh, a, a fertile ground for growth and exploration is so key to a healthy transition from one belief system or, you know, just an evolution of faith. Most of us don't have that. But there does seem to be a point, even when we do have it in some regard, there seems to be a point that a line gets crossed. And what was once so welcoming and, and so much freedom doesn't feel free anymore. Did that happen to you? Absolutely. And uh, it was it was actually it, it was twofold. I think I was going in one direction. And well, let, let me rewind a little bit. For a long time, 
we we were very unified that the collective church and myself we were we were all kind of trending in the same direction for probably i i don't know you know spitball in eight years or so and everything was was really really comfortable and flowing very consistently there was a change in leadership of that church and and, and that was a subtle change it went to a much younger pastor um, who had been the youth pastor who I was on staff with uh, for a few years. And he's a still, he remains to this day a very good friend of mine. But at that time, I was leading the uh, the college ministry while I was also, you know, helping out with the sound uh, multiple times a week, uh, Thursday night rehearsals, Sunday of uh, multiple services, and and sometimes other, other events in between. And we were running a co- college ministry, I think most of the time it's on Monday nights. Um, so I was at the church three to four, sometimes five nights a week, you know, v- whether it was in a voluntary capacity or whether it was in a, in, in kind of a, a very low paid, but, but functional capacity. And, uh, the passion that I had was, I mean, the sound was fun, but, but getting to teach these millennial college students was, was such a cool thing to get to do. And as I'm continuing down my, uh, journey into this idea of a God of unconditional love, with limitless grace, who's including all of mankind in this finished work of the cross, this Jesus who is the exact representation of God, but who also unveils the authentic identity of myself with a mercy that endures forever, no condemnation in him at all. I'm teaching these kids and they're just soaking it up until they're not. And and it was funny, some of the kids were, but the ones that were, you know, kind of deeply uh, involved in other areas of the church started to tattletale <laughs> and ask questions about what I was teaching versus what was kind of going on in the more uh, institutional, organizationally kind of bigger picture of that church. Um, it's my opinion, uh, you know, that that church had to make some financial decisions in that in that transitional period of time and you know, early in its its history, when it appealed to a bunch of bikers and drug addicts and homeless people, it was able to be independently funded by the original founders. And um, as they transitioned out in leadership who needed the church to be self-sustainable transitioned in, the messages changed. And um, I'm guessing that probably resonates with you a little bit, knowing some of your story. Absolutely. And, yep, sure and the, uh, the identity of the church began to shift. And it became a much family or friendly church, I, I won't lie. But there were some aspects that, that just all of a sudden became uh, discordant between where my heart was being led and where the collective heart of the church was trying to go. Can you give us an example of a disparity between where your heart was and where the heart of the church was? Yeah, I can actually give you a, a very specific, probably the one that maybe got me, uh, um, oh, fired's the wrong word, can you be fired as a volunteer? I don't know. Um, <laughs> one night we were talking about, I can't, I, I believe it's in the book of John, but there's a, you know, talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Jesus mentions that somewhere in, in one of the gospel accounts, and that the Holy Spirit brings conviction about sin and um, uh, a couple other factors, uh, sin and, and judgment and something else. And uh, so I, d- I, did a, I did a lesson on that and said, listen, I, I think that this is, we're missing the point of what Jesus is saying here. And, and there's some, some things being lost in translation that the Holy Spirit doesn't convict in the sense of condemnation or guilt. The, the Holy Spirit will not bring guilt into your life because the Holy Spirit is exactly like Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. The Spirit's going to remind you of your authentic identity as an heir of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is going to bring you into a, a knowledge that you are the righteousness of Christ. And so I started teaching these things. And, and I think that may and likely have contradicted something that had recently been said somewhere else. And offline, these, these young, young people went to the senior pastor and, and, and asked him, and, and he had a disagreement. He brought that disagreement to me and said, you, can't, you just can't say that to people. They, they're not in, you, know, you can't tell people that they're completely absolved from all sin because then they'll just they'll go back and <laughs> sin. You know, if they think, you know, uh, we just had a fundamental disagreement of, of, of Holy Spirit's role in, in, in that. And, and that was kind of the beginning of the end. I think it wasn't very long after that that those perspectives began to crystallize even further and, and uh, we ended up in totally different places. So 
uh, and obviously neither one of us can see the pastor's heart, and I'm not trying to ask you to do that. Was your impression that he disagreed with what you said or that he just didn't think you should be saying it out loud? That's a really good one. And, and you know what? I, I, I would have said two years ago that he just didn't want me saying it out loud. But in hindsight now, I think there's still a lot of, you know, maybe I was a little naive into where their theological uh, understandings kind of were, or his, I should say, probably more specifically. But again, I think a church a lot of times takes on the identity of the senior pastor. And and he he was still, he's still working through, and I think to this day, still working through a lot of those Western kind of orthodox, uh, you know, fundamentalist, even though they are a pretty liberated place, there's still some some pretty uh, deeply tied things to penal substitution, atonement theology, all those kind of big, you know, uh, conditional salvation. There's, there's an underlying root of some of those things they just don't want to let go of. And if I ask myself why, consciously, I think because they want it. But subconsciously, I think there's a there's a comfort level there with people here in the South. And uh, they don't go to a church, a financially supported church that doesn't have an inerrant Bible, <laughs> that doesn't have, you know, a conditional salvation mechanism and doesn't have two or three of the check boxes that they want to make sure they see before they're going to give their money to support that organization. All right. Let's talk about your spiritual evolution. Okay. Just you personally, not the church, just you. Yeah. How is the God you believe in today different from the God you had believed in earlier in your life? Oh, well, I, I would say it like this, and, and this is probably even unusual for other people. I think the love and grace of God that I've always believed to be, for the most part, unconditional, even in my heart, it is just so much bigger and so much more real than I ever thought possible. And I know that may be a little weird, weird, weird way of saying it. I think there were aspects of my childhood uh, upbringing things that kind of implanted some other beliefs. And again, I would think through those things and maybe hold them in, in, inside some sort of mental construct. But, and, but for me, and I think I'm unusual in this regard, the idea of a God that is just undying love somewhere inside of me was always alive. And it, once I had the freedom, kind of like I did with, with creation, once I had the freedom and I realized that there was a, a way of interpretation that, that enlightened that, it was effortless for me to move into that. Um, the belief was always there. The head knowledge, the theological backing to it wasn't. Um, so a lot of my head knowledge has changed, but the heart of the God that I've always served and always known who was reflected in the way I was loved first by my parents and by, by so much of the community around me. And I'll tell you, even then the Marine Corps, and, and maybe that's a weird tie back, but that brotherhood of guys who would lay their lives down for one another, that, that's, that's the Christ I served in them. I connected with that. You know, I'm the guy that I, I've always cussed like a sailor, half sailor, half roadie. I was, I grew up around both of them, but I've never felt guilty about dropping an F-bomb here or, you know, saying something. I've just, I've never harbored a, an, an inherent guilt with those things. And I, and I didn't really know why until I've come to this place where now I know exactly why, because it's not about that. So uh, your bio, you reference being passionate about exploring the ultimate purpose of life. And you're understanding what is that ultimate purpose? Why are we here? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a multi-pronged uh, answer here. The, the simple Bible answer <laughs> is that Jesus, right? Jesus. And that's the easy one. But I, Jesus is the, the unlocking agent, if you will. He's the why to our life. And it, it goes beyond that. Because I, th I think when it really comes down to the ultimate purpose, it's unlocking the, this idea that Jesus unveils two key aspects to, to our authentic humanity, each one of us. And I think we all are desperate for both of these equitably. They are liberty, 
we we are creatures. If it's our freedom, you've been made free. We are we 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 desire to know what freedom is: freedom from the bondages of religion, freedom from the bondages of political oppression, freedom to be who this world is growing us to be. A B compassion. That that is the other aspect. That is the other component. An equal portion to liberty. This idea of selfless giving to to our brothers and sisters, um, you know, uh, metaphorically in Christ, right? To be able to pour out all we are with not one burden of condemnation or guilt associated with it, to uplift them to 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 know who they are in Christ and to meet the needs that they have, and and I think finding that balance of harmony between liberty and compassion as a, as an individual inside of a community of people also exploring those two amazingly beautiful paradoxical kind of components it is really what it's about and and we vacillate nobody walks it perfectly except one guy but but the journey to explore and the and the, and the realization that the exploration is the point. There is no destination, but it is the it is the exploration into freedom and into compassion, finding where both of those have a have a um, a peace, right? A spiritual peace that 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 fruit of the spirit inside of you that produces all of those other fruits. I think is is really is really that purpose. And when we get there. We, we become as he is in this world, so are we, right? We become that moment where we begin to act like who we really are. And I say act, act is right. We, we just, we are who we are at that point. So I had not planned to ask you this question, but I just, you've got this really unique perspective that I want to explore <laughs> a little further. Okay. So with this mindset of Jesus came to teach us to walk in liberty and compassion or to announce that that's who we really are. What what does that do to evangelism? Because in my mind, evangelism is just like this totally separate thing that has nothing to do with living free or really even living compassionately. The Southern Baptist churches, the Nazarene churches I was raised in, it was about souls. It was about not going to hell when you die. It was about, you know, don't smoke or drink or chew or run with girls who do. So what... <laughs> What, what does evangelism or, or is that even a thing in your understanding? Yeah, no. See, I, I love I love this one. This is good because I actually I so we'll we'll get into that later, but I wrote about this just the other day, at least not not this, but this idea. Words. I, I'm a I'm a words guy. I never thought I was gonna be a word guy. Tiny tangent. I, I did terribly in high school in in everything that was literature or English. In fact, I still can't spell. I'm a terrible speller. And, and I never, ever, ever, if you'd have told me when I was 20 or whatever that I'd, I would write regularly, I would have probably punched you in the nose. Um, and yet somewhere right in that college age, I actually had a professor and I, I wrote this weird paper. It's a, it's a story within itself. And he was the first person to give me a belief in myself that I had something to offer with words. And ever since that moment, I think words have, have kind of had this un, unusual thing for me. Words, we get so hung up culturally on words, church, evangelism, grace, justice, judgment, right? All these words have such a, a, a we, we give them meaning, right? We, we, we each individually like shove a definition behind them. And that means this. And because it means this, I can't, I can't ever, Words have usage, and evangelism, in in its essence, what the what the word is trying to convey is this this announcement, this proclamation of of good news. That's all the word means. Now, evangelism in our culture has all this baggage we've like attached to it, and it is. And you're right; it's it's do this, don't do this, or you're going here, right, um, or else, or and if you don't do all these things, and somehow you still get it right, maybe you can get to heaven too. That's not evangelism. There's no good news in that. Evangelism, in its essence, was the the life of Christ in in a in a logos in a in a in a a word that transcended words. Right in this idea of of perfect expression of what it really means to be human. You know, Jesus wasn't wasn't the last Adam because you know. 
he just was the last Adam. He was he was showing us finally and completely perfectly unveiling something that we were meant to know and meant to experience more than even know. And, and I think evangelism, evangelism in its essence is, is about walking into that identity of a God who looks exactly like this crucified um, carpenter. Right? He's a carpenter. Who, who is he? He's nobody who unconditionally forgives the man on his right, who accepts him, and the man on his left who rejects him. You know, th- there's perfect freedom in this moment of complete oppression to, to be unoffended to the point of, of reconciling the cosmos to himself, never counting anyone's trespasses against them. I mean, if that's not good news for everybody, I don't know what is. And and yeah, religion in the last 1700 years especially has just completely jacked this whole story up. But evangelism in its in its in its usage, in that usage is a beautiful thing. We have to we have to take these words back. We have to we have to grab them by the throat, bring them back, wrestle them to the ground and fight for what they really, really were intended to convey and not allow the conformancy of, of oppressive religion and, and control to, to, to alter them. At least that's my opinion on words right now. I think we are in a battle for terms societally and, and I'm just not willing to give them up that easily. Maybe. <laughs> Well, words have played a big role in your life, like you said, and, and you really do care about their meaning. What led you to write the book, The Jesus Purpose? Uh, that that's a whole podcast within itself, I, I would say. Um, but um, and if you if you if you start uh, the opening uh, introduction, opening chapters of the book, um, I, I do lay that a little bit out. Um, my my beautiful wife, we're, we're both forty two now, so I guess it's been six years ago. She always gets mad at me because I always mess dates up. So I probably mess da- messing dates up even in this thing because I just I don't I don't convey time I guess correctly in my own mind. But uh, I digress. She was diagnosed at the age of thirty five, thirty six with a brain aneurysm. Um, it was kind of a, a a miraculous discovery. It had not ruptured. Normally, you don't know you have them. One in fifty people walk around with brain aneurysms, and um, a thirty-five-year-old mother of two, and it was pushing against her optic nerve. You know, within months, we were at Emory University, um, and she was having a full craniectomy, uh, having half her skull taken off, and and full brain surgery to to re- uh, remediate this. Um, this unbelievably kind of intensive thing for a, for a young family to go through. It was interesting. I had a lot of people who, who would just absolutely kind of, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. And they would pour out. And I, I just, I was kind of, it sounds weird, but I was kind of unshakable through the whole thing. I just, I had a, I had a peace about it. I had a trust no matter what happened. I just felt like, it, you know, we're going to get through it regardless of, of what the outcome was going to be. And, um, wonderfully she was able to recover fully um, but we came home from the hospital seven or so days later and I just I just had a, a, a it, I had to I had to just begin to tell my story my journey of of transition of who I understood God to be and what's interesting is so it's a book about Jesus I don't quote a single scripture in the entire book not one uh, a uh, B. I've used the A B model a couple times here. If you haven't noticed, um, hey, it works. <laughs> there you go. B. I didn't even know there were other people like me. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was writing this thinking I was kind of walking into uncharted territory <laughs> naively, and it was. It was really my just personal, probably letter to myself to say this is is better than you've you've ever been able to articulate so tell yourself that it's better than you really re- realized and in my desire to maybe have a couple people read it and kind of put it out there in the world i came across a community of people who are already beginning to walk into and express these same concepts you know the don keithley who who we just had this sunday come to one of our events i'm sure we'll talk about in a second keith Keith Giles, you know, Andre Rabe, uh, Richard Murray, some of these people that I get to now call friends were, were mysterious to me. I didn't know they existed. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, 
there are other people and not, not only are they on the same journey, they've developed a, a, a the theological backing to some of the things I didn't quite have reconciled. They were ev- able to provide context around those things and give me some, some new language and some new understandings of how to wrestle through some of those little areas that maybe weren't as clear. Things like penal substitution, atonement theology. I probably wouldn't even have known what that was when I wrote my book. I, I deal with it, but I deal with it in a way that was very personal and very kind of um, uh, offline of maybe what the the language would convey inside of a a theological conversation. Yeah, last year I was able to attend one of your Unleashed community gatherings when you had Keith Giles and Richard Murray in. It was such an incredible event. What gave you the idea to start doing that? I mean, was it really just about gathering other people once (laughs) you heard there were folks out there? You just did this for yourself and included other people? uh, Yeah, it's it's kind of a twofold. So, A, we, we... we lost our church community, um, as I've kind of talked about before, and and so many friendships and people that we were deeply, deeply invested with, people I still love, people I still deeply care about, people I still see at the grocery store or whatever. Um, but we lost that weekly pulse of repetitive like life with them. And there was a mourning that happened. There was there was kind of a hurt. We we did attend another church church briefly after that called uh, Grace Life Un- Unleashed. A gentleman named Herb, Herb Sims also uh, uh, kind of ran that church. And he, he's a, he became in one of these weirdo grace guys like like us. And um, it was interesting. We, we started attending his little congregation for, for just a minute. And we were there like eight weeks and they closed the doors on the church. They said, we've taken you guys as far as we can go. This isn't producing the fruit that we think it, could, we're going to unleash you guys into the community to, to do your own thing. And it was this, just this weird moment of a church basically dying, but dying peacefully, dying, understanding they had, they had accomplished what God had wanted that little community to do for the time period. And we were the late, we were in there in the very like 11th hour. And it was this beautiful moment of like, wow, when a church isn't obsessed with self-survival, it had the, there, I, I, we were sad because we were starting to develop community there, community there, but we weren't so deeply invested that that we also felt that loss, and so we just kind of picked up the mantle of what they were doing and started meeting in our homes with some friends. But we also wanted to extend that conversation, and and honestly, it, again, this kind of gets superficial Christianity, but I don't think that's I don't think that's true either. I think it's that liberty compassion thing. We had always given. What do I give to now? We had given to some of our, our friends and, in, 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 you know, Steve McVeigh, maybe give to his ministry or, or give to Andre Robbie or something like that. But how can we give and invest in our local community in a different way that maybe was unexpected? And so I just, I kind of, you know, as we do in this social media world, I kind of just put it out there with, uh, with Keith on a, on a social media, like, you know, messenger, like, hey, would you ever be interested in coming to Atlanta and just talking? I, I love your stuff. And he was like, I'd love to. I was like, I can cover your flight and a room to talk in. And he's like, great. And and then, and then it happened. And so we've done three of those events now. Um, Keith was our first. Andre uh, Rabe was our second. And, and like I said, like, you admit, or like I mentioned, uh, Don Keithley, we just had him here this past weekly, past week. Keithley Weekly. You see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> well, I really love that you're doing that. I hope you continue to do it for a long time. Yeah, and it's it's really a way of taking our we we still meet every other week or so with a small group in our home, but we want to extend that circle. We know there's other people, um, especially in the southeast, who don't get a chance to maybe meet in person. And there's something totally different about about meeting someone in person and getting to see their countenance and and hear from them with a vibrational energy of sound in the same acoustic space. There's just something about that that just changes how we how we experience the love of God um, differently than maybe through a computer screen or even through a podcast like this. And so I, I think that's just kind of the point is to have true community and give people a moment for that. So what's next for you? What are you working on now? Are you going to write another book? I do want to. I, I, I do really, I really want to. I don't know what I'm going to write about. I think that's one of my, I'm, I'm just waiting for the right topic slash perspective. Um, so much is being written out there and, and I want it to have something that's that, that, that has value and maybe a, a unique insight to it for people. So that will be a point journey in my time. I, again, I'm blessed to be gainfully employed and, and very um, busy at work. So 
you know, I have two teenagers. Um, my son is a junior. He'll be going to college in, in hopefully a year. And we're just in that moment where just life is just full. So it's kind of a white knuckle experience a lot of times. And we're, we're just kind of hanging on. So, so when I have the time to write, uh, I, I would love to sit down and write again. Um, I do write daily. And, and I, I, my thought repository is on Facebook. And I'm sure um, uh, some people are familiar with it. It's called the Jesus Purpose Community. And that really, that happened about three or four years ago having that online community where, I, again, I can just kind of brain dump what God's laying on my heart in that moment of time. And it's just continued to grow. And I really think it's a, it's a fairly healthy place compared to other, other maybe uh, Facebook groups. It's, it's, it's a private group. You know, we, we do that just to, to keep it a safe place for people to ask questions and share their thoughts. But that's really where I kind of emote and slash uh, conceptualize uh, what's what's going on upstairs and and in my heart, and uh, just let people in kind of inside of of, of what I'm uh, chewing on. Well, I'm a member of that group, and I love it. I, I think there's such a special dynamic among the members of that group. They're very complimentary. There's not, I mean, there's just no judgment at all. There's just no really is no po- finger pointing, nothing. I mean, there's just no toxicity to that group at all, which is really rare for a Facebook group. It is. And so I'm really, I'm really <laughs> grateful for you and uh, the community that's pulled together there. We've had very few interruptions in, in three years. I mean, very few. I mean, I'm talking one or two. And, and, and that for 500 members is just, and it's funny. And, and I'd imagine you have the same experience to some degree. Uh, I think we have a little over, I think we're approaching 600 members or something, which isn't, again, it's not nothing like earth shattering, you know, but there's 50 people that maybe participate regularly. And, and I'm still amazed at, even in our local community, people I used to go to church with that that are part of that, they 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 never peek their head above water. But I'll see them in a grocery store aisle, or I'll be pumping gas, and 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 one will be next to me, and the man like I read everything you say, keep it up, you you've rocked my world behind the scenes, and that's those are the moments that you just kind of go, whoa, I, I I didn't even you know, a I wouldn't expected you to feel that way about it, b it kind of gives you that insight that that the impact we're having sometimes is a lot bigger than than what we can see and that that's that can be really encouraging it's like a little wink and a nod from the holy spirit to say keep going you know yeah yeah and so uh, that won't be stopping anytime soon that, that that's that's my passion and and that's what i have the bandwidth for honestly right now friends we're going to put links to bill's book and the jesus purpose facebook group in the show notes for this episode we want you to be able to find bill online and find his book and find that Facebook group and be a part of that. It's a fantastic group. I highly recommend the book. I read it several months ago, and it, it's really personal and approachable. Uh, we talk a lot about theology in this episode, but it's very approachable theology. This is not academic at all, and it's a beautiful presentation. And I hope you'll get a copy of The Jesus Purpose. Bill, thanks so much for joining me today on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Thanks, bud. It's my honor, and I hope I brought a little laughter and, and you know, some uh, screwed up... Uh, language because uh, I can't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Words don't come out good from the mouth sometimes. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. 